Good to see you all on this lovely Sunday morning. The fans are not going yet, so uh, I'll take that as a good sign. Last Sunday, by the time I got up to preach, everybody was already fanning, and I had not even begun. Uh, So welcome, welcome. Man, I just want to say a few things before we launch into the sermon. One, praise God. uh, Thank you for all who stayed around last week after the sermon for the business meeting, church member meeting, as we voted to move forward to being elder-led. Praise God. Uh, What an awesome movement of the Spirit and very exciting season of our church that I'm just really thankful that I get to walk forward with you uh, alongside of you. So thank you. Thank you. Second big news, uh, awesome thing, uh, another switching gears. We actually, I got this little piece of paper when I got back from uh, being on Oahu, and it said that we are the top per capita, again, giving church in Maui for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So praise God. Yes, praise God. That's you guys. Um, now you say, wow, what is that? Why are you talking about that? See, church is all about money. No, 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 no. See, 100% of those proceeds, 100% of our Annie Armstrong Easter offering, Sunishikawa, and Lottie Moon Christmas offering, all of those, 100%, goes to the advancement of the gospel across the nation and all over the world. Uh, And so right now, actually, right now, this minute, those funds are being put to use uh, through our sisters, our brothers and sisters in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, some 10 to 20,000 families displaced. Uh, We're actually going to be taking up a love offering here September 4th, a very special, separate uh, from normal things, love offering September 4th to help, and that's going to go straight to them. We're doing this in partnership with our sister churches on the island. Kihei Baptist, Lahaina Baptist, Pukulani, Valley Isle, Maui Phila, all of these, we're joining together. We're going to do exactly what Paul did in the book of Acts when the saints had a drought in Jerusalem and they were suffering from famine. They went and took an offering and went to relieve the needs of their brothers and sisters. So that's what we're going to be doing September 4th. So mark that down. Uh, bring something extra that you can give to help relieve uh, their pain. I saw a picture and uh, this Imagine a building shaped like ours, very similar. They have a group that's scheduled to come out here in March to help us with some things. And this church, their building is literally up to the windows, uh, above the windows in water. Their pastor's house, their parsonage, above the windows in water. Uh, So those funds are being put to use right now. The Southern Baptist Convention has feet on the ground. They are serving in the name of Christ, and it is a wonderful partnership. So uh, thank you for giving, thank you for serving, and may God get all of the glory for that. All right, John 8, John 8, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. You could call this the Feast of Tabernacles Part 2. All right, so you're like, some of you are probably confused. We went straight from 752, chapter 7, verse 52, and skipped over that famous passage with the woman caught in adultery, and that went from 753 to 811. Now, if you look in your Bibles, most of you uh, will have a Bible like this. Look in your Bibles, and you'll likely see some sort of little asterisk or a bracket 
or a footnote or a center column, however your layout of the Bible is, and it will likely say that these passages, these verses are not in the earliest most reliable manuscripts. And now we're going to deal with that in a separate sermon uh, when I talk about textual uh, evidence and manuscript evidence and the reliability of your Bibles. Uh, I've got tongue-tied. Reliability of your Bibles and why you should trust them. And we're going to cover that whole thing in a separate sermon, including... Uh, Jesus and his encounter with this woman caught in adultery. So we're going to skip over that. And actually, if you read it from 752 to 812, you go home and you just read it. It's almost an unbroken, uh, unbroken thought. It's an unbroken scene. And so we're going to carry it in like manner. Now, last week, we dealt with Jesus at the feast, right? And, and his major portion of this feast, Jesus stands up in this just, I mean, just like we said, tents everywhere, the Feast of Tabernacles, that's what a tabernacle was. You could think of like a tent, it was a tent-type shelter. Uh, and they're all of Jerusalem gathered together one of three times in the year that every male was required to make the trip to Jerusalem. And here they are, and in this major portion of the feast, Jesus stands up and says, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, this week, Jesus says something uh, just as striking, if not more so, in another major point of the festival. So, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing to guide us and to feed us this morning and to see what he has for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, in your light do we see light. And so I pray that you would cause the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ to shine this morning. Uh, I pray that as we sang, Lord, may you grant that we would go deeper and deeper and deeper into the glories of Calvary. And may you lead us to Christ, to be satisfied, to quench our thirsty souls, to give joy to the sorrowful, and to lift up the morning that we would see in Christ we have an all-sufficient Savior. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I have one point this morning, one point. There is life in the light. That's it. That's one point. There is life in the light. There's life in the light. Now, we're going to cover um, a whole bunch going on. We're probably going to cover 20 to 30, uh, verses 20 to 30, maybe Wednesday or something like that. We'll cover the, the rest of this whole exchange from verse 13 to 20. Uh, we'll, we'll cover that another time. This is really going to focus on this second I am statement of Christ recorded in the Gospel of John. There are seven of them, and John is very, very intentional with how he records these statements, and they will have a culmination uh, at the Passion Week before the crucifixion of Christ. Now, they all point us to something, so that's just what I want to examine. We already had our first I am statement. Do you remember what that one was? John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. That was the first one. Now we have I am the light of the world. Now there's actually two main highlights to this Feast of the Tabernacles, right? Last week, we covered the water ceremony. And if you remember, the water ceremony recalled God's mighty gracious, miraculous provision of water for his people in the wilderness. 
Now, that was one major highlight of the feast. There's actually a second one that I didn't mention last week because I knew this text was coming up and we would talk about it this week. So the first one you could call the water ceremony. The second one you could call the light ceremony. The light ceremony. Now, we just had a light ceremony of sorts in our culture around the world. You know what it was? It's very famous. It's the lighting of the Olympic fire in Rio, right? And it started with a torch from Greece. What is it? Olympia, Greece, Mount Olympus. And they ran that torch, a perpetual flame, unbroken across all sorts of countries and continents and by air and road. And it came to Rio and kicked off the Olympic Games. It was a type of lighting ceremony. These are very common in many parts of the world. They're generally highly symbolic. This was no different. This light ceremony, however, in Jerusalem, back in the first century, put the light ceremony in Rio to shame. It was just nothing compared. And you're like, wow, how can that be? How is that possible? I mean, this was broadcast, yes, on scope, The Rio games were broadcasted to far more people. But in reality, ooh, this this light ceremony was something special. What happened is they had four large bowls. I mean, you could just, maybe like a cauldron would be a better word. Uh, Sorry about this. I don't know what's going on. I'll have to go a cappella, old school here. Charles Spurgeon. All right. They would fill these bowls, these cauldrons, cauldrons full of oil, of course, and you guys know what oil does when you light it on fire. It's very flammable. Every eight-year-old boy learns this very young. They fill this full, and they place it atop pillars that some said were as high as the highest temple wall, four of them in different areas. And then all of a sudden, they would do what every young man's dream is, set those bad boys on fire, right? And you can only imagine the size of the flame that came and was emitted all across Jerusalem. And this dwarfed, like I said, dwarfed the the little flower pot thing they had at Rio, all right? That was cool, but nothing compared to these things. These would light up an entire city of Jerusalem. Now, can you guess what it symbolized? You know what it symbolized? In the span of three chapters, John has brought together three wilderness images. Chapter 6, manna. Manna. Remember from the book of Exodus, God's people, the great escape, if you will, and they come, and the Lord feeds them manna in the wilderness. Second one, water. Water from the rock, John 7. We saw that one. And now this one, John 8. What's it symbolize? What's it symbolize? Light. Fire, the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that God led his people. God's glory manifested itself to his people and led them out of slavery. Where? For 40 years through the wilderness into the promised land. This is what they're remembering. This is why such a massive display of light. Now, light was a big deal in those days. Today, we take light for granted. It was a big deal back then, but today we, we have lights everywhere. You flip a switch and there's light. You, you have a flashlight in your pocket that you carry around half the time so that if you're not near a big light, you have this light, and this light's very bright. 
Everywhere you go, you have light. You have light in the bathroom. You have light in the shower. You have light in the closet. You have light everywhere at all times at your convenience. So we vastly take light or fire for granted. However, it was not always so, and in many places all over the world, it still is not the case. Have you ever tried to walk in true darkness? Most of you probably in Maui haven't gotten to do this unless maybe you live out in Haiku or Hana or somewhere deep up country. But growing up camping, you go and you go out camping in the woods of Georgia somewhere and you get away from light and I tell you, beloved, it is dark dark, and it is hard. Or have any of you ever tried this? I've, I've done this, and this will show you some things that I do in my free time, is blindfold yourself and try and walk around, or walk around with your eyes closed around your house. Simple tasks become really difficult, really, really difficult. Things that you always were just, you just do without thinking about. All of a sudden, you're stumbling around and running into walls, In those days, light and fire was massively important. The Old Testament is rich, rich, full, brimming, brimming with imagery of light. Think about it. Genesis chapter 1 opens, and God said, let there be light. And right before that, it says the Spirit of God, that the earth was, was black, was dark, was void, and without form, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. There was darkness, and then God says, let there be light. Or fast forward to Exodus, God reveals himself to Moses, where? First time, a burning bush, a perpetual flame, long before Mount Olympus and Zeus and the pagan Greek cults had perpetual flames. Yahweh, the great I Am, revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush. And then if you go forward in Exodus, the ninth plague, the plague of darkness, where all of Egypt was afflicted, the scriptures say, with pervasive darkness. It's, the scriptures describe it as darkness that you can feel. It gets in you. Have you ever been in darkness that you just, it's just there? I don't know that I've ever had darkness like what Egypt had, and it was dark for three days in Egypt. But yet, God's people, throughout the three days, had light. Had light. The miracle. Or upon exiting Egypt, as we already mentioned, the glory of God going before his people in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The psalmists would declare and learn to praise, the Lord is my light and salvation. Or, again, this is one of our fighter verses, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isaiah tells of the time in the Messianic age that the servant of the Lord, the Messianic servant, was appointed, and this is what he says, to bring light to the Gentiles, that he might bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. Luke actually picks up on this very thing. You ever heard anybody say that Jesus is a Jewish Messiah? I mean, he's not the Messiah for everybody, right? He, he's a Jew. He's a Jewish Messiah. 
Yes, this is true in some ways, but no, not just for the Jews. He came from the Jewish people for all nations. He had to come from somewhere. And this wasn't an afterthought. It was part of the plan since Genesis 3. Trace it all along. You'll see this is God's plan for redemption. In the Old Testament, it ends with a prophecy, Malachi 4.2. It ends with the, proph- the last chapter in the Old Testament. Before you get to Matthew, a few prophecies there are all about Jesus, Matthew 4.2, or Malachi 4.2. But for you who revere my name, this is God's promise, for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness, Son, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. After that, 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence from God. And then the New Testament opens up. The Gospel of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, he says this, or he records this. Remember Simeon's song? The fun sermon to preach. Simeon's song, the old man who waited in the temple night and day for the coming, for the consolation of Israel. And this is what he says over baby Jesus when he sees him. Luke 1, 78 to 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Promise made, Malachi, promise fulfilled, Luke. Light and darkness. See, since the human race fell into sin in chapter 3, death and darkness was all we knew. That's what we were born into. Genesis chapter 3. And we saw in Genesis that refrain that was so intentional and important. And so and so lived this many years, and they died, and they died. And those genealogies, it's like a broken record. And they died, and they died, and they died, and they died. All the way until John's prologue opens up, and it says in verse 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Finally, one came that snapped the broken record of death for the first time. There was one in whom was light and life. Now, so with this backdrop, we have to have this backdrop when we read John 8, 12. So with this backdrop, this feast, during this important light ceremony where the people of God remember his glory displayed in a pillar of fire that leads them out of slavery that Jesus now proclaims. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Isn't it just amazing? I mean, without this backdrop, without us thinking on the scriptures, we, we just read over this, like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'm the light of the world, whoever follows. Right? No, but when you have all of this, what Jesus is saying, what he's trying to communicate to his people is that I am, I am the light of the world. I am the one by which you see everything. I am the source of life and light and energy and vitality. Their response is one of hardness. 
they're going to do what they've been doing since chapter 5. They're going to ask his authority. They're going to debate his origin. And we'll talk more about that at the end of chapter 8 next week. But I want to camp out here. I am the light of the world. I just want us to see and just meditate and ponder. Let it sink in just how incredible it is. How marvelous it is for Jesus to offer himself. To say about himself, I am the light of the world. This is just an outlandish claim. Against this backdrop, which they all have gotten, this is a remarkable claim. In essence, Jesus is saying, I am the fire that led you. I am the bread that nourished you. I am the water that sustains you. Follow me, just as your fathers did in the wilderness, and you will never walk in darkness. Is it any wonder that the guards at the end of chapter 7 said, nobody ever spoke like this man? Is it any wonder? Because, see, we often, in this, our culture is popular, this saying, and is, people often say something to the effect of, well, I think Jesus was a good man, he's a good teacher, he had a lot of really nice things that he did and said, but, you know, whether he was God or not, I, I just, nah. Beloved, Jesus doesn't allow us to hang in the air like that. Either nobody says this who is sane. Either this man was crazy and we should reject everything he's ever said because he's the biggest con, or he's actually telling the truth. Because normal people don't say things like this. He is the light of the world. Nobody ever spoke like this man. NASA's website I went over there just to check out what it says about the sun because uh, the sun was a big, uh, most cultures around the world worshiped the sun, including uh, the Hawaiian cultures. They worshiped the sun, Haleakala, the temple of the sun. The sun was considered a deity. No surprise, NASA has this, I quote from their website, nothing is more important to us on earth than the sun. Without the sun's heat and light, the earth would be a lifeless ball of ice-coated rock. The sun warms our seas, stirs our atmospheres, generates our weathered patterns, and gives energy to the growing green plants and provide food and oxygen for life on earth. Nothing is more important to you in our solar system than the sun. And in like manner, as there is only one sun in our solar system that is the source of all life, there is only one sun, S-O-N, of God in his system that will give you life. And there is nothing more important for you this morning, there's nothing more crucial for you this morning than your relationship to his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. If that is in doubt, if you are not sure of your stance with him, then nothing else matters in your life. It is the only and most important thing for you to think about this morning. Now, I want to talk about and give some application and think really hard and deep about what it is to walk in darkness and flip side to walk in light because that's the promise, right? I am the light of the world. 
Whoever, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I want to just meditate with you there and really just flesh this out for us. So let's start. How you respond to Jesus this morning. Like I said, the most important thing in your life this morning, today, is not school, is not exams, is not anything work, anything like that, family conflicts. How you respond to Christ this morning is of utmost importance. And how you respond to Jesus, check this out, is going to determine whether he is a loved light or a loathsome darkness to you. How you respond to him will determine whether you value and honor and love him, whether you love this light or whether he is a loathsome darkness. What do you mean, pastor? What are you talking about? Exodus chapter 14, 19 through 20. Exodus 14, 19 through 20. This is what it says. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought, brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. See what happened? Normally, this cloud and fire would go before the people of Israel to lead them. But when they got to their backs against the wall, when they came to the Red Sea, they had nowhere else to go. Suddenly, the pillar of fire moved from in front of them to where? Behind them. And what function did it provide? It stood as a barrier from Israel's enemy, Egypt, and Israel themselves. And to Egypt, the cloud, the glory of God, brought darkness to them and light to his people. How you respond to Christ will determine whether you, he is a loved light or a loathsome darkness. If you reject him and disobey him, he will be darkness and pain as your judge. If you respond in obedience and follow him and trust him, oh, you will find him a faithful father, a forgiver of sins, none like him who can compare. Now, darkness is also, we could think about, associated with lots of unpleasant things. Every child grows up, and generally most children at some point have a, uh, a response to darkness of fear. You're afraid. I'm afraid of the dark, right? I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm sure at some point I was, but not any longer. I have a nightlight now. But generally, we associate darkness with fear of bad things, fear of the unknown. Why is it a free, fearsome? Because we, we don't know. We can't see. We lack our sight. Whenever you go camping and it is dark, your eyes can play tricks on you. Your senses begin to play tricks on you. I, I can, man, you come in this church building at like 2 in the morning. You're like, why are you here at 2 in the morning, Pastor? Because there's stuff happening that's weird and I got to deal with it, right? Um, you're like, what kind of stuff, okay? R really just somebody pooping outside the door, right? That's all there is to it, right? Uh, it's fun stuff. I told you it wasn't amazing. So um, you come here at 2 in the morning, though, in your eyes, I'm like, dude, is somebody in here? I got to look twice, right? Somebody sitting at the pew? Fear of the unknown, Confusion. Confusion. Because we can't see, a lot of times we're confused. We don't know where things are. We, normally, we're, normally things are easy to navigate, but we cannot see, so it's confusing. 
Our fear and confusion can lead to timidity, excessive caution and moving around because we don't want to fall. Results in frustration because things that are normally simple are now difficult. Darkness is associated in the scriptures with spiritual ignorance, hardness of heart, a lack of understanding, excessive sorrow, depression. John 1, 1 John chapter 1 and 2 says those who lie and hate are said to walk in darkness and are like blind people. By contrast, light is generally the opposite of all these things, isn't it? When there's an abundance of light, fear is then replaced with courage and confidence. Confusion gives way to certainty. Timidity goes away and now there's boldness because we can see the way. We walk with confidence and surety knowing our steps, where they are and where we're standing on. Spiritual ignorance fades as we see more of the glory of God. And so the apostle reminds us in the great book of Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness. You were, not just in darkness, for at one time you were darkness, but now, but now you are light in the Lord. And then the command, walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. Why are you light? Because you have come to the light of the world, and he has made you light. This is what he says, isn't it, Matthew? You are the light of the world world, a city set on a hill. He also says, yes, he is the light of the world, and how does this light come to us? Whoever follows me, going back to John 8, whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness. Now, whoever follows, if you were to go into the original, and I'm not going to give you the original Greek or anything like that, the word, it's fancy, but if you were going to go into that, then it actually has the idea of a continuing, ongoing action. So not just whoever started to follow me and then took a break and decided to rest, but whoever follows me and continues and continues to follow me, the next day they follow me, the next day it has that present, ongoing, continuous action underneath it. So some of you, you're getting practical, right? Some of you, have made decisions to follow Christ at some point in your life. Maybe it was at a camp when you were younger. Maybe it was at a service like this. Maybe you even went to Bible college or did some other things, taught Sunday school. And suddenly now, now you find yourself not walking as a child of the light, but you know this. I don't have to explain this to you. You find yourself walking regularly in darkness. Maybe you wonder with great sorrow and fear if God's promises have failed you. And maybe it's not true. Maybe now you have doubts. May it never be. May God never, God forbid, that he would ever fail on his words. Perhaps you started strong following him, and then you got distracted. 
and you started following other things. If that's you, if that's you, today is the day that the Lord wants to draw you back. I'm not going to ask you to consider coming back. I'm going to tell you today, turn from darkness and follow the light like you did in the beginning. Don't wait. Come today. Others in here, some of you others, maybe feel like you've been following Christ. Like, I have been following him. I've, I've kept my eyes on the light of the world. I've been walking in the light to the best of my abilities. And, and actually, I've encountered far more troubles than I felt like I had before I started following Christ. Things actually got harder when I started to follow Christ. And you now wonder at times whether you are even a child of the light at all because of all the darkness that surrounds you. For you, I want this passage, I hope, to encourage you never never, never to give in to the temptation to turn from the light. Never, never give in to fleshly lusts. Never give in to the flesh and allow them to again dominate your life and your character, but rather forsake them, turn to Christ, and whoever follows Him will not walk in darkness. Now you say, but pastor, pastor, I, I, I hear you. I, I'm trying to do that, but all I see is darkness. Pay attention to the words. His promise is that we would never walk in darkness. But you must pass through it. Walking in darkness is not the same thing as walking through darkness. Oh, the beloved psalm, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Christ actually promises. So you're like, man, pastor, that's me. I just feel darkness around me. I don't know, I don't know if I'm doing the right things or whatever. Beloved, Christ promises that you will pass through darkness. This world is not our home. It is a dark and fallen world. He says you will have trials and tribulations. Don't be surprised. If the world hated me, it will hate you. And as we traverse this journey, we must follow Christ, not turning from the right, not turning to the left, but we must keep our eyes on Christ, our pillar of fire, until we reach where? The promised land, or as John Bunyan called it in the Pilgrim's Progress, the celestial city. Until we reach heaven's shores, Christ goes before us in the wilderness, leading our steps every point of the journey. Now, as you consider, continuing with he is the light of the world, remember this. This is important also. Your proximity to Christ, your nearness to Christ has a direct correlation, a direct bearing on your ability to properly evaluate your circumstances. Think about that. Your nearness to Christ, your proximity to the light has a direct bearing 
on your ability to see correctly. Now, you all know this. You go outside in the darkness, away from the light. Sometimes your shadow casts and blocks the light. It's a little bit harder to see. The further away you get from the light, it gets harder and harder to see. The closer and closer you get to the light, the easier it is to see and properly evaluate things. Have you ever tried to find anything in the darkness? Have you ever just thrown up your hands and said, I'm going to search in the morning? This is so dark. Your proximity to Christ, the light of the world, has a direct correlation on your ability to see and evaluate properly your circumstances. Over and over and over again, the Proverbs attest to the need to have God's wisdom to evaluate our situation. Let me give you a scriptural illustration. Remember the 12 spies, Numbers chapter 13? 40 years, man, the Israel's done. They're like, they are 40 years in the wilderness. They are, they see the promised land. They, they can see it. And it's full of enemies and people that they're going to have to fight to take over. And that's a great lesson for another time. And, and before they go in, they do what every good army does, and they send out 12 spies to spy out the land. They all see the same thing. They all see the same people. They all see the same land. And then they come back. Ten of the spies give a bad report. And they focus on how big and strong the people were who lived in the land. Ten of them. Two of the spies, some of you name your children after this or have been named after this, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, Don't focus on how big and strong the people were, but on how big and strong God is who gave them the land. Same view, same facts, same circumstances, totally different perspective. Your nearness to Christ has a direct correlation on your ability to see and properly evaluate your circumstances. Is Christ, I ask you, your guiding light? Is he your only light and source of life? And there's another reason why light is so important, and we'll wrap it up here. There's another reason why it's so important, because sin, sin, our disobedience, when we turn to it as believers, it has the effect of temporarily blinding us. So we don't know what's straight, what's up, what's down, what's left or right. It deceives us. It doesn't just blind us. It makes us think that up is down and down is up. Confuses us. The Lord has granted many means of grace, the Holy Spirit to guide us, and the body to assist us with godly counsel. See, it's not enough that we seek counsel. This is why we need it. Because when I'm sinning, I need somebody to help me to see straight. Because I can't see it. And then not only do I need them to help me to see straight, but I need them to help me do it. So many, there's so many people who seek counsel. And it's humble, and it's really good, and, but, and they get it, but then they don't listen. You know anybody like this? They come to you, and you say, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't. By the grace of God, don't, don't go after that guy. Don't go after that girl. Don't get, this is going to be trouble. Yeah, 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 I got it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And pff, 
Next thing you know, and it's bad. It's bad. It just goes bad. We not only need counsel, but we must follow counsel. That is another form of grace that the Lord has given us to light our way. And not just any counsel. It has to be godly counsel. So I'd like to encourage you, believers, brothers, sisters, members of Kahului Baptist Church especially, who do you have in your life that is speaking light and truth into your life? Do you have anybody? You say, no, I don't have anybody. I want to encourage you. We have small groups up and running. We have four of them. Three meet on Tuesday nights. One meets on Wednesday nights. I think they're all at 6.30. And we're, by the grace of God, cultivating counsel and relationships in which truth can be spoken. And, and you can have brothers and sisters tell you hard and truthful things and encourage you when you're down. I encourage you to come to those. We also have uh, Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. here, to be in the Word and, and receive more counsel. We have Sunday schools, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. You say, oh, this is a sales pitch. I got it, Pastor. I got a sales pitch. Yeah, that makes sense. No, 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 no. It is the importance of you being connected to the body because when you are by yourself, things get really dangerous and tricky. Be connected somewhere. That is the point. And as you see, I pray that you would not only see more of him, but that you would trust him. And as you trust him, my prayer is that you would not only trust him, but that you would move in faithful obedience to him. And may the Spirit grant that we would leave here proclaiming with the psalmist, the Lord, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that uh, as we see in your word that Christ is the light of the world, there are some here who have started following at some point and they lost their way. They got focused on the cares of this world. And they are now in darkness. I pray this morning you would set them free, that they would come to Christ, the light, and follow near him the rest of their lives. There are some here who are walking in darkness, or through darkness, rather. Their circumstances around them are hard and difficult. I pray that they would see the urgency that they have to draw near to Christ, to see your glory and everything around them properly. And if there are some, Father, that have never come to Christ, I do ask that this morning, that not only would you let them see and hear that Christ is the light of the world, but that you would open their eyes, their spiritual eyes, to behold his beauty and come. We ask that you would do these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.